0: Welcome to Biohackers Podcast, dedicated to optimizing human performance. So I'm sitting here with Michael Collier and he's recently appointed by McLaren uh, Applied Technologies as uh, someone who is leading now the McLaren Human Performance Center of Excellence. So welcome to the show.
1: Yeah, thank you very much. Nice to be here.
0: So I let you actually dive deep into your background. So what brought you to McLaren?
1: Um, I've been working in Formula One for over 10 years. Um, I actually started in about 2000, 2001, shows my age now. Uh, I was working at Benetton, um, Formula One company back then now in Renault. And um, I was there as an intern. I was there to help set up and establish a human performance center there and worked with the likes of Fernando Alonso, Jensen Button and Mark Webber. Um, I was there as a sports scientist, so that was the my background. Um, I worked with a number of people when I was there and then ended up finishing that sports science degree and then going and working and studying as a physiotherapist. Um, worked in the NHS uh, in the UK down in Southampton, did a little bit in Premier League football and then ended up joining uh, Honda in 2008 um, as the team's uh, sports scientist and physiotherapist working predominantly with Johnson Button and up until last year have been working with him at McLaren. Um, my job has changed almost overnight two weeks ago. um, I was working with Stoffel van Dorn and getting him ready for the start of the 2017 uh, Formula 1 season. Um, A number of discussions have happened over the course of the last few months and um, I've been appointed as head of human performance for McLaren Applied Technologies.
0: Alright, so what, what is your own kind of sports background or training as an athlete uh, or are you just like helping others to become successful?
1: Yeah, I spend a lot of time um, playing rugby and football in my younger years Um, I haven't done that for for quite some time now Um, but I've always had a played to a reasonably high level Um, my interests now I would probably just say a more uh, general fitness on a personal level I've done a few triathlons Um, I was sort of uh, partly responsible for uh, Jensen's uh, interest in triathlon uh, which he's pursuing and and pursuing rather well in his own right and um, yeah I, I mean the the biggest f- time that is spent um, on uh, sort of on a sports now is is very much in Formula One and, and kind of helping others um, achieve and be as good as they possibly can be.
0: I see so when it comes to like human performance and excellence on, on that side what are kind of the key takeaways that you have learned uh what are the important areas to focus on uh when it comes to let's say a formal driver or anyone who really wants to kick ass and perform
1: yeah it's um i'd probably say what you know that there's a whole number of um areas that people need to focus on if they want to excel in sport and every sport is unique brings with it its own characteristics if we take formula one as an example because it's obviously something that I, I know reasonably well racing drivers have to have a reasonable level of um cardiovascular fitness they have to be uh strong so both upper body and lower body There is um between four and five g's the sort of height of uh, g-force experience in cornering these days um they have to be able to hit approximately 140 kilos in um Brake pressures. So they have to have upper body and lower body strength. Uh, They have to have good uh, coordination and good uh, reactions. But they also have to have um, tactical and technical know how. So they need to be able to understand how they set up a car. They need to understand if they change one thing, how will that impact the performance of the car. Um, Similarly, they have to then, as they tactically, be able to process information and lots of information very quickly, whilst also driving a car very quickly. So um, it's a combination between um, the physical as well as the sort of neurophysiological um, that needs to be maximised. And you can do that through nutrition, through recovery, through sleep, through um, training. But as I say, every sport is specific and every individual that you work with is specific and so some elements will appeal more to a racing driver than others and in order to be able to get the best from them you have to adopt a personalized um, specific approach to every person that you work with and I think that that's probably the real challenge because um, we're complex creatures and um, understanding the individual is uh, is not easy at times.
0: What can you say about the mental aspect of all of this? I would imagine that if you're a Formula One racer, uh, that's kind of where it makes a big difference between drivers, like how well they can focus on the task at hand for long periods of time. And I... Assume you know cardiovascular fitness and all that is great uh, on the background, but uh, what kind of like mental training or or how is that taken into account?
1: Yeah, I think I, I 100% agree. I think the, the probably the single biggest uh, differentiator from one weekend to the next will be the mindset of that person. Um, your cardiovascular fitness won't change that much between one race and the next. Your strength won't change that much between one race and the next. Um, if, we're, if you're feeling fatigue or if you're unwell, then your mindset will be different. Similarly, um, if you are under pressure, um, either in the car or out of the car, you know, we have to accept that people have lives, and that um, there may be elements within that, that person's social network that, that are impacting impacting them. And so, all of these things need to be taken into consideration. I think that we're um, one of my roles within the um, McLaren Applied Technologies and heading up the human performance is for us to begin to understand this more. I would um, say that we have a fairly high level uh, knowledge base of all of those aspects that I've I've touched upon. And I think that um, we're only just touching the surface of that. Um, and I think there's a number of reasons for that. I think historically, when you look at some of the pictures of Formula One, they would be, uh, before they got in the car, they would have a cigarette in their hand and maybe a can of lager um that has changed obviously but there is a certain stigma that is still associated with with racing um and it was always about the car and not so much about the person furthermore um now that it is so technical we are limited in the data that we can pull off the racing driver and correlate that actually with what's happening in the car um, so we have to, um, overcome a stigma as well as a, um, an external limitation in terms of the amount of data we can, we can take from, from racing drivers. Um, and you have to actually, um, convince those people as engineers and senior members of the team to say, actually, this is useful because it might actually give us one tenth or two tenths or three tenths of, of time, um, focusing on the racing driver rather than the uh rather than the actual car per se so i would like to think that over time um we will begin to explore and understand that much more in my new role um we've got a wonderful opportunity to do that now um the post is brand new it didn't exist before um i've got um very good understanding of racing um and probably one of the reasons why i've been brought in to do that and i think that we can potentially um understand the demands of racing and once we understand the demands that gives us insight and once we get insight then we are in a much better position to be able to um, facilitate improvements um in racing drivers of our current generation and could we then also uh, use that insight to help us predict if a racing driver will be good from other mediums, be it from gaming or from a whole batch of assessment processes that we use and develop over time. And I think that, that sort of um that that is quite an exciting concept. It's new, um, it doesn't exist at the moment also. So what
0: you're talking about this data driven Humans' performance optimization nice. so you are you are driving diving deep into it it really really fits into what we are talking about as biohacking so we look at the human body as a system and how it can be understood on a very uh, deep level and uh, the data that we can uh, derive from it is of great importance so what are you learning i mean what kind of data are you right now Tracking, I would assume heart rate and all kinds of
1: yeah. I mean, so I yeah. Sort of going back, I think that um, McLaren Applied Technologies has sort of five uh, business uh, units, of which health and wellness is one, and the human performance element fits into into that. Um, however, with all throughout all of those business units, the DNA of racing is. Uh, runs throughout all of them to help us uh, achieve on 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 identifying and resolving the problems that we're being presented with. So our problem um, is understanding the racing driver at this moment in time. And so what we need to do is we need to look at uh, developing uh, technologies that enable us to obtain insightful data. Um, as seamlessly as we possibly can. Um, that is one of the focuses that I will, um, I'm, um, I'm working on, because, um, yeah, very simply, if you if you were to put a standard heart rate monitor on a racing driver the environment doesn't permit you to collect clean data. Oh, that's
0: true. Yeah, yeah, that's the same with cycling. I mean, I've, I've looked at all these activity trackers and wristbands, and some of them are pretty bad when it comes to tracking your heart rate while you drive a bicycle because of the, the vibration coming from the... Yeah,
1: 18,000 revs per minute. Are you going to... I mean that uh, the uh, the environment is a is a problem for us. It's something that we need to overcome. There are a variety of systems that we have used and and are currently still trialing. A um, heart rate is an obvious one for us to initially target because it has um, some relative meaning and significance uh, because it means that we can, on th- absolute simple face value. Be able to write specific training programs to the demands of racing okay um, however, I think if we can overcome that um, data capture barrier, we are then in The realms of understanding far more so it could be that we are looking at things like core temperature we could then look at EMG, EEG activities Um, and once we start collecting this data with our uh, team of data scientists um, we have the ability to start to analyze that and then understand more about the demands of racing, which will then inform how we go about trying to make that racing driver better.
0: I would, imagine are- I would imagine you are also looking at blood work and maybe different tests that you do pre- or post-race.
1: Yeah, so we, I mean, there, there are a whole batch and, and barrage of, of assessments that we put our racing drivers through, and I doubt that they're probably that dissimilar really to most elite athletes um everyone's kind of looking for the next thing um i think that you know if if we look at um and we try and bring it back down to more sort of simplistic levels if we look at general wearables and the information that people are, are, are being fed at this moment in time um the, I think there's a sort of um, slight disparity between what people want and what people are actually receiving at the moment. And I think that the the predictive... Um, uh insight and that sort of um actionable insight that leads to predictive insight is where the future lies and i think that's very similar to to us from from a racing point of view so um what happens uh from after a race before the next race to help us ensure that that is then going to be uh, yeah. beneficial so at the moment we don't know because that's not being tracked Really, um, however, if for example um, we are tracking it, then we can then look to modify a particular variable, be it nutrition or sleep or whatever we feel is 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 worth looking at. We are then in a position to be able to then identify the effect of that because we're tracking it and we're monitoring it um but as i say at the moment we're not i mean bloods are bloods are um we've looked at bloods from the point of view of um things like food allergies uh cortisone levels for stress um uh, general health um the issue again you have for us is that sort of following the sun constantly moving and and the the ability to Take the blood, get it analysed, and actually then have it be presented to you in in a meaningful way that's actually going to change or inform for the better. Um, I think that there are there's potentially that sort of um, uh, happy medium that you can get. Again, I think from wearables with the right technology to be able to almost get some of that information almost proxies for those measures um and and i think that again is 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 the sort of the next level of where um wearable technology is actually going to go it's going to go from uh not just heart rate it will go to sweat concentrations to blood glucose to a, blood lactates and and yeah. there is some you know some of that technology yeah. is already there
0: getting some real-time information i'm actually injecting myself tomorrow with a, with <laughs> a blood sugar monitor oh, right, okay. four hour basis even though i don't have diabetes just to you know get to know how different food items affect
1: me sure and that, that sort of biolet bio sort of um um Information is again, you know, that's that's something that um, Applied McLaren Applied Technologies has kind of done some work within, um, uh, because you know I think that that's, that's a, a, an area of of relevance moving forward. So, you know, I think we always have to come back to who 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 are we working with. How receptive are they to modifying aspects of performance? Because you may just get a complete barrier. Uh, because the individual doesn't uh, f- understand the benefits, they don't see how it's going to help them, um, and you could have all the information in the world, um, but if that person is is non receptive to it, then it falls flat straight it needs away.
0: The actionable, the athlete also needs to see the benefit of actually doing all the tracking. So that's why you're also looking into kind of um, almost automatic, non invasive, you know. Um, uh, data capture yeah so that it would be as easy as possible so that it's not on the way of training yeah. regimen uh,
1: completely seamless and and i think that that's where um that's where the sort of um wearables is uh, should be going
0: have you have you looked at um, let's say biometric shirts or uh, or things like that
1: yeah i mean it's it, it's it's a really interesting area um because I was presented with something uh, only a couple of days ago that was really exciting in, in that area we Applied Technologies has trialed a number of wearables that on p- on on paper look like they'll be really good and then they fail to then deliver in real life
0: yeah, tell me about it I, I've looked at, looked at a lot of these different either the data capture is not accurate or the actual coaching part is not that good and, sure. and it, I mean the, but the vision is there it's definitely coming together yeah. if you look at team sports like a, f- a coach to be able to see how people are performing, when to call someone in, um, all these things and, and how to how to make sure they recover uh, properly and, and all that information that you can kind of like turn that game into data. We already track things like a puck or a ball in the game and, and get all kinds of analytics about yeah. uh, how, it's, how it's being tossed around. So definitely the, the data aspect is probably also another thing that's going to be of great interest to the audience. So if I was watching a race you know i it would be great to see the heart rate of the driver that's currently driving and kind of getting that real-time immediacy of uh, what's going on that you can almost feel the heartbeat of the driver so um but definitely at yeah, the technical issues the algorithms and everything need to develop there
1: yeah and i i think with the um <coughs> with sort of new ownership as well that is that is probably something that they are looking at in terms of trying to improve the engagement of of um a younger audience into the sport so um i think it's going to be actually over it's, it's going to be difficult for formula one to make any significant changes over the next couple of years just because of contractual arrangements that they already have um, however, sort of um, in two or three years' time, I think they will then have clean slates. But I think that they they will have the ability to change a lot, and I think that it's going to be very exciting for Formula One when that um, actually takes place.
0: What is kind of a growing trend in the fitness world is more focus. On recovery and things that happen between uh, the exercise, so it used to be you know lifting weights or what protocols or what diets you have, but now it's even more about uh, how to manage stress and and recovery and all those things. How is how is that kind of uh, translating or reflecting in in your work with your drivers?
1: Yeah, I think it's I think it's one of those things that everyone's sort of looking at, at. how do you assess it? How do you uh, monitor it and how do you improve it? Um, I was at the, um, I took the opportunity when we were in Melbourne to go to the Victoria Institute of Sport um, and did a bit of a sort of information sharing session with some of their practitioners there. Um, now they work with obviously a larger number of athletes um, and recovery was one of the topics that so came up um, and how you look at, um, Identifying when someone is ready to start training or ready to uh, go back into a, a competitive environment, and they were looking at things like um, mood status. They were looking at um, vertical jumps um, and, and a number of other other areas. Um, I think that what they found was that it was the issue is always, always about capturing the data uh, because you can't kind of, if you're not doing it consistently enough then you could miss the yeah. significant events that would yeah. indicate when that person is ready to go yeah. in and or, or variation
0: not. between people. I mean, some people respond very differently to these things. Yeah. Uh, so um, there is a company called Omega Wave that does like this nervous system mm-hmm. kind of tracking in the morning. I think it's used by a lot of different Olympic uh, teams, for example, to, to assess readiness and uh, also kind of the level of um, uh, intensity that should be applied after a specific day. So it's, yeah. if it's going to be lighter or heavier load, that can be put on today and and that aspect. So uh, assessing uh, sympathetic nervous system, parasympathetic nervous system. Anyone who is familiar with the algorithms and and the science behind it knows that. Yeah, I mean it's uh, there's individual differences and there's many factors that affect these things like. Uh, uh, breathing patterns and and so on. So um, is there, like, anything specific um, uh, that comes to your mind uh, when it comes to enhancing recovery? What kind of techniques do you put people into oxygen tanks or
1: whatever? Yeah, I mean, we... um I mean, first of all, it's, um, we will approach the sort of um, training load. So th- th- there's a quite a lot of work at the moment related to training loads uh, and monitoring training loads. Um, and I think the research really is sort of pointing to the fact that you shouldn't over a course of a week uh, so you have acute and chronic training loads as well, and you, and your training load fundamentally shouldn't sort of spike above ten percent from one week to the next. Because you go above ten percent, you then run the risk of of um, of injury. Um, if you you also then have to bear in mind how long you've been doing that. So if you're kind of nine percent, nine point nine percent, you're still under the ten percent. Uh, but then if you've been doing that for the last six months, there is then a, a real case of of chronic overload as a result of that. Um, we were talking earlier about. Cycling your training so that's where you come i think into into understanding your athlete uh periodization um, and Super compensation. Yeah, yeah and and making sure that actually you you are using some sort of variable to identify uh recovery, so we very simply have a have a six point um, questionnaire to fill in uh, that we're using over the course of uh race weekends, and that then determines uh how our training um affects the athlete so let's say for example you've had two or three weeks where uh trainings all training's been completed uh, racing drivers fit healthy well um and all of the results are fundamentally positive in, in that questionnaire process um the following week you then pick up some change in in that mood status um you can then cross-reference that with some of the training that's been taking place, and that can then help um, some discussion with the driver. So is it that actually the training is uh, has effectively become to uh me is it that the training load in that particular week prior to the questioning increased um has something else happened within that person's lifestyle that um not not just training it could be that for example that exactly or, or nutrition hasn't been great or sleep hasn't been great or they've just been unwell so that then helps inform um a number of other areas so um It's a really interesting area. It's a very difficult area to pinpoint one thing. And I think it's about sort of creating a, um, having a number of, Pieces of that person's performance jigsaw, and then kind of then being able to sort of hone in specifically by understanding that that driver or that athlete, and uh, and and taking it and exploring that further. But that that requires a relationship with that athlete. Right on.
0: Yeah. So so you are not like enforcing them to use like heart rate variability measuring in the morning or sleep trackers or anything. But it's kind of a we've
1: used we have used we've we've as as I'm sure most uh, coaches have done. We've used um sleep trackers. Um we actually have um our own sort of heart rate variability algorithms and, and, and stuff like that. Um but that sort of um, the combination between um, sleep, um, training load, the uh, which is time and intensity, combined with um, things like travel, are probably how we sort of uh, that sort of collective, and we look at that then. Um, and so when we, you know, our training programs are geared around every every, you know, we we have to peak, you know, twenty times a year prior to a race weekend. Combined with marketing media activities, uh, time zone differences, uh, altitude and heat changes. Um, so There's a whole load of uh, different variables that have to be taken into account, um, and and we we constantly monitor them. Um, but I would say we do it in a way that's fairly um, fairly um, light touch because we spend so much time with them that you don't want to sort of be... Con- you know, you'd know, you get absolute rejection from a racing driver if every day you put a 20-page questionnaire in yeah, front of them exactly. and said, right... So if they start
0: to look like a cyborg and they need to yeah. do a lot of paperwork...
1: Yeah, and, and I think more. that's why... If, yeah. you can, if you can kind of get a product um, that works really well on a racing driver and is well-tolerated and gives you insightful information... I think then you are in the realms of creating a consumable product that will be well tolerated. And I think really, you know, if I think about what are my, what are my goals within my new role? It's, how do I make and improve the performance of the racing driver? How can I help the race team make a better car and how do I find uh, niches in the in the market from a con- from a sort of commercialization perspective and I think actually you can kind of almost tag tag all three of them together,
0: yeah. Yeah. I want to go back to the travel because that's a yeah. big factor obviously with your athletes so is there anything specific that you do to enhance recovery let's say time zone issues or like uh, crappy sleeping positions or whatever
1: that yeah. Go it's, yeah it's difficult so um yeah, we're we're constantly following the sun, um, and that means that yeah, you know, we could have as much as eleven, twelve, well, eleven, twelve hour time zone differences. So Australia, for example. So if I use that, that's one of the biggest from Europe. Um, we tend to begin a certain amount of uh, sleep uh, and time zone adjustment before we go. Do
0: you do like light?
1: Light stimulation or? So we'll do, we'll, we'll just uh, effectively begin to alter um, bedtime. So if you think that you are, you you're, they would suggest that you're looking at um, one day per hour of time zone difference. Yep. So theoretically, by the 11th day, if we're in an 11 hour time zone difference, you should be adjusted. So we can't get out to Australia. 11 days early because of other commitments. But what we can do is begin to adjust before we go. Yeah. So that's one thing. The other thing that we'll do is we, um, we, ins- a very simple thing. So we'll ensure that the flights that we get on are the right flights to be getting on so it allows you to be sleeping at the right time or awake at the right time because there's so many flights out there you could easily get on one that isn't doesn't work for you um when you then get there we are then um ensuring that we are actually exercising at the times where we'll then be performing so um australia is a sort of um a later race and therefore most of our training is geared around the uh, practice and the race times. So whereas maybe when we're in Europe, you might get up and you might do something, say seven, eight o'clock in the morning. Wow. That wouldn't work, that would be completely uh, pointless. So, we'll okay. do it at the time when we'll then be looking at performing.
0: Yeah. So, you're basically looking at the circadian rhythm and what would be the optimal training zones, and also how to adjust for that.
1: Exactly. And then, and all, you know, even things like adjusting clocks when, we're, when we are um, on flights. To in, in our instance to Dubai, and then from Dubai onwards, making sure we kind of eat begin to eat at the times when we should be eating for Australia, not what, what we've kind of just left. So, um, all of those things then help our body. Um, we'll then have our, our training is uh, ramped up, so we have um, a sort of um, micro cycle uh, in the four or five days leading up to. To race as well um the um will have a certain amount of hands-on treatment as well just from a lymphatic drainage and recovery point of view from 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 that perspective um uh, I say nutrition, hydration is, is something that we uh, focus on and monitor. Weight, again, is something that we focus on and monitor as well. Uh, so it's all about really trying to ensure that that adjustment is as quick as we possibly can. So it be- begins before we go, and it's about trying to maximize it on the way up there, and then monitoring and maximizing it when you're there as well.
0: Just so, a tidbit, there was some recent research article on, on this, uh, I mean, genetics and the clocks and the day-night cycle. And it seems that if you do fasting, so if you fast when you travel to a new time zone, Mm -hmm. the body moves the clock uh, because it prioritizes getting food. So when you eat in the destination, uh the breakfast at that location is your next meal it's Mm -hmm. going to kind of speed up the shift of the clock so Uh, so there's some pretty cool hacks that you can do here obviously like the the light exposure it seems that morning light exposure is more important than uh, sleeping time according Mm -hmm. to some research so so that's why using like uh you know uh, 10, 15 minutes uh, uh, s- strong blue wavelength kind of light at the destination's kind of uh, morning sure. uh, sunrise would would make sense and also to limit the exposure to blue wavelengths in the evening would be also kind of beneficial mm-hmm. to increase melatonin production at the right time so so there's definitely a lot of stuff that can be done for these sleep hacks and but th- th- in the end it's uh, it, it seems that the human body getting adjusted to these things is still super difficult. Like uh, sometimes. yeah,
1: it, it, it is difficult. Um, I think we have a, a slight luxury that we can kind of plan it. You know, it's not like um, we arrive there and you have you can to perform like straight away. Yeah, that's yeah, what we do. I mean, we get out there early. We get out there as early as we possibly can do, which might be um, the Friday or the Saturday before the week before. So by the time you get round to um actually being in the car yeah not too far off that one hour per day yeah when you 've worked it out based on the fact that you may well have adjusted before you 've even gone as well
0: i want to ask a few things about nutrition so uh what kind of like um kind of protocols do you follow there? Sure. Do you put people on high fat low carb diets or uh, wh- what's, what's going on there
1: sure we've um uh, um, trialed a number of different things. Um, if I think back to when I first came into uh, racing, it was very much the sort of uh, which is going back quite some time. It was very um, very carbohydrate-heavy diets. Um, I think everyone's kind of thought the sort of carbohydrate approach was 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 the healthy approach. Um, that's shifted quite a bit, and I think that one of the big um, driving forces for that was when we introduced um curves on this on the cars uh so 2010 i think it was um where driver weight so the curve systems were heavy which meant that the driver weight became a real focus so you wanted to the driver to be as light as you possibly can so um We then began to really focus on what was uh, being eaten. So we did some work with a uh, pharmaceutical company uh, through a um, dietary analysis, five-day dietary analysis, which then brought us up all the sort of macro and um, uh, nutrient content, um, which highlighted a number of areas where improvements could be made. And the fundamental change, if I was to try and sort of summarise, was that there was then a, a seed change shift away from um, the percentage of carbohydrate that was being consumed from from that, and a greater emphasis really on sort of protein consumption. So um, that. And not only that, so not only the percentage change, but also then the type of carbohydrate that was being consumed, yeah. so just we' got
0: time to really kind of start to look at not just you know carbs as carbs or fats as fats, but also like what type exactly and, you know, you and that
1: absolutely and that um, that body of work has kind of really sort of gone on to another level now um, uh, so much so that you kind of have to sort of, at times, almost sort of step back and think to yourself, actually, what do you like eating? <laughs> because again, it kind of has to be applicable to to, to the um, to the racing driver, and not only that, we could be. You know, in a part of the world that doesn't necessarily have exactly what you want and so you've got to be a bit sort of flexible and adaptable for that and also you've got to enjoy what you're eating as well so um, you know I, I would say actually from a nutritional point of view we are probably at a, a level where we're where I would say that we're probably quite happy from a nutritional point of view um, we still do sort of dietary analysis uh, as I said we touched upon we've done some sort of blood Analysis and, and and such like. So, um, and we have we're fortunate that we have um, a travelling, um, travelling hospitality company. So we have our own chefs. And so, if there are particular particular nutritional preferences, then we can kind of get those ready before we travel. If you feel that you're going to have limitation or you're going to be limited on what you can uh, get from a from a supermarket, for example. So, um, we're we're uh, I think we're probably quite Quite happy with where we are from a nutritional point of view.
0: When it comes to genetics, have you done any genetic testing, like nutrigenomics, looking at nutrition optimized to your your genetic background? No, we or, haven't.
1: Or no, we have. No, we haven't done any uh, genetic assessments. Um, an area that I quite like is the um, potentially once we sort of looked at, into it a bit further, the sort of um, probiotic. Um, and the impact of that on um, gut bacteria and your immune function and your energy and, and those yeah, type of yeah, things.
0: And as well. I mean, 90% of serotonin is produced in the gut and just like alteration of gut bacteria or the diversity of it can also affect mood.
1: And, yeah, uh, but it goes back again to that um, you need to under, You need to get um you need that data insight first um that i mean you could uh, there's a school of thought where you go well we'll just kind of trial it and see what happens and you get the subjective information from from that person and that if that's what you have then that's what you base and base your insight on however i think we have the ability to um understand it in a much Deeper at a much deeper level, and therefore um, that insight can be far um, far greater. So we should be thinking about how we um, assess gut bacteria, how we can then uh, enhance um, that gut bacteria, and understand why we are enhancing it, and what is the end product of that enhancement. Um, and then is there actually some element of uh, if that enhances performance then high fives or rounds that's brilliant Um, can you then roll that out to our race team to enhance them and stop them becoming unwell Um, because they are arguably more susceptible than what we are because they work longer hours and they're in a much more of a shared environment Um, and then if you can kind of tick the box on both of those areas can we then think about what what commercially uh, what commercial opportunities are there um, if we've done it in racing for racing driver and we've done it for our race team and we've seen benefits how can we then look at sort of rolling that out on a much larger scale yeah, commercially absolutely
0: i mean if it works for for a professional athlete it should work for any exactly
1: skateboard. and i guess that that's probably the theme for a lot of the work that that will be you know that we're hopefully looking at doing so, is so
0: you what you're doing is not just to to take these innovations and use them in, uh, in performance in races, but also to create new products and offerings that could come out of the McLaren team, right?
1: Yeah, 100%. And um, I guess one of the reasons for being here in Helsinki today, you know, today and, and over the next uh, few days is a, is a, um, a conference related to um, startups and corporate innovation. Um, and you know this is a this is a, a part of the world that is um influential both from a startup but also the actual topic which is about health and wellness you know uh, so i can you know i know a number of big companies that are big players in in that world that are based here so um it's about um, i guess understanding that the environment here and seeing if there are any sort of, um, opportunities that we can sort of, um, work on with people. Um, and I think that that is a new, um, the business unit that I'm running is a new business unit. And I think that that is absolutely crucial for us moving forward because you need to be able to, um, you need to be able to harvest innovation both internally and externally um, and if it's new a new business which this is at this moment in time there isn't necessarily the internal um a cauldron of innovation and therefore i need to look for it elsewhere
0: yeah yeah exactly and also help some of these technologies to mature so that they can be
1: 100 percent. yeah i mean you have to think that we have you know, decades of um, experience of um, uh, gleaning information from race cars. So data acquisition, the speed with which we, we've done that, we've got a whole load of very intelligent data scientists and data analysts that work within our team, um, and the, which then provides us with that sort of insight. And if we can then look at applying that in other areas, i.e. health and wellness and performance, then that And if it's with or using someone else's product, then that engine... That McLaren Applied Technology engine can help accelerate the growth of that business, uh, and also um, put it into markets that they may well have had difficulty with, because it kind of, it almost has that sort of McLaren Applied Technology stamp and that seal of approval that the quality will be good.
0: Absolutely, I love the whole idea of kind of uh, having that put on on things as a seal of approval that if professional athletes can use this, you can as well. So with my kind of last set of questions so where do you see the future going like you you see a lot of things
1: yeah um i mean seamless wearable um 100 percent uh and when i say wearable that could be uh on top of the skin or under the skin um that's that that's going to be one big area um that sort of predictive insight is crucial um because i think that as, as i've touched upon before there's there's discord between i think what people really want and what they're currently getting um and i think that that is uh where um current technologies can be a real player in that because of our, our sort of history um and actually having something that has a real uh that product form is also going to be important so um, is it a watch or is it uh an item of clothing or is it an earring or is it something else um is gonna be interesting to see kind of where where that goes as well so um those are that you know that those are probably the the form the predict the predictive element of it um and uh yeah and the um the you know is it it's it's still always it's still going to be a wearable because it has to get the information somehow, but it's just kind of where's that going to be on the body?
0: So um, if people want to know more about the the McLaren Human Performance Center of Excellence, do you have like a website or a way to contact you?
1: There is a, there is a, um, a McLaren uh, Applied Technologies website, absolutely. Um, and um, my email is, is a very simple one, which is uh, michael.collier at mclaren.com um, for further information about really the work that we do at the moment as well as the work that we will be looking at doing in the future so um yeah by all means uh email me if you have any uh any questions
0: yeah cool thank you michael for no the openness and i hope that some people listening in see somehow a way to help or or be able to catalyze what's going on here so thank you so much
1: michael Nice no, has been a pleasure thank you